in 1940s London, an Austrian exile, Robert Lucas, sat at his desk writing an important radio broadcast. In spite of the bombs raining down in Europe that night with the fear that Hitler and his armies were winning the war, Lucas had to remain focused on the task at hand. In his words, Robert Lucas was working on a radio program to fight for the souls of the Germans. But the radio show was not a passionate plea for them to come to their senses. It was an attempt to make them laugh. I'm Chris Weinland, and this is the podcast that combines Hollywood stories you might know with Christian stories you don't know. This is Forgotten Hollywood. Today, we're going to talk about the forgotten history of the power of a joke. We're going to dive into some surprising stories that show how one joke or a series of jokes can threaten major powers, kingdoms, and even overthrow false religions. In this episode, we're talking about the power of a joke. I'd like to start off with a pop quiz, so here goes. Which country has banned Winnie the Pooh because of a joke? Is it Russia, Japan, Guam, or China? What do you think? I'm going to give you some time to think about it, and I'll reveal the answer later on in this episode. But first, I'd love to tell a little bit about why I was inspired to do an episode about this. As a late-night writer, I've had the pleasure to write for quite a few late-night shows and pilots, One show in particular was a Christian late-night show called Next Week with Jeff Durbin. That's right. I said it. Christian late-night show. Now, this just might be the first time a nighttime talk show speaks about the separation of church and state in a way that is consistent with what it means historically, logically, and biblically. Except for the time that Paul Washer had his own late-night talk show called Laugh with Paul. Show never actually aired because he didn't laugh once. We love you, Paul Washer. He's actually amazing. Now, when I joined the project, I became the head writer and a significant producer to the show, and we did very well. The show lasted two seasons and became one of the most watched shows of that studio. And it was also shared multiple times by Ben Shapiro and louder with Crowder, among others. Needless to say, the show grabbed the attention of viewers. In fact, I still get told by people that they loved the show and that they remember watching some of the skits I did where I was in it. But as funny as it may have been, as many jokes as we may have written and put in, the show had a mission behind the madness. The primary goal of our show in particular was to use humor to help stop abortions. Now that sounds crazy, but this is what we did. We targeted Planned Parenthood in many sketches, monologues, and rants to expose their motives, contradictions, and greed. And after our first few episodes, we started ending the program by listing how many babies were saved that week because the show was being shared and sent to hundreds of thousands of people. The critics that we had with the show, believe it or not, were actually the Christians. We received many complaints from Christians asking why we would tell jokes that made fun of the anti-Christian worldview. One person literally said, that is not the way to silence the enemy. When in contrast, anti-Christian networks and companies like Planned Parenthood were stunned silent by our targeted sketches and jokes. The reality is that we were extremely aware of the power of a joke. 
Its power has become a rather ancient secret now, but it is still true nonetheless. In fact, jokes have been utilized to completely change and alter the powers of the world. At the height of World War II, the British government concocted a plan that was sure to be the beginning of Hitler's demise. Britain decided to fight the dictator with the cunning use of humor. Robert Lucas had been working for the German service of the BBC ever since it haphazardly sprang to life in September 1938. The aim of the German service from the very beginning, when it broadcast a translation of a Neville Chamberlain speech shortly before he signed the infamous Munich Agreement, was to break the Nazi monopoly on the news within the Third Reich. But in 1940, the powers seemed to shift, and Hitler seemed to be winning. So the German service of the BBC came up with an idea. The plan was simple, to create several satirical programs that could be leaked into the homes of German citizens who have had a strong respect for the leader and attempt to make them laugh at that leader. The Nazis could not stop foreign radio waves crossing into Germany, but they could, however, make listening to enemy stations a crime, and that's exactly what they did. The moment the war broke out, Germany made it illegal to listen to an enemy station on the radio. Anyone that did listen and got caught were jailed immediately. The sentence for spreading news from the enemy broadcast was the death penalty. Germans, brave enough to disregard the law, had to beware of eavesdroppers and ill-meaning neighbors, and they would have to listen under their blankets if they did want to listen. Talk about writing for a, a show that not only was trying to grasp the attention of people, but had to grasp the attention of people that knew if they listened, there was a chance of death. It had to be a very strategic and very decent show to listen to. The BBC knew that they needed a radio program that was worth listening to, even at the risk of being jailed. The satire that they ended up coming up with was a fictional Nazi soldier named Adolf Hernschel. Now, Adolf Hernschel was a series of fictitious letters written by a German corporal on the front line to his wife. The protagonist reads the letters to his fighting comrade before they are posted. On the surface, Adolf Hernschel is devoted to his beloved Fuhrer, yet so far-fetching are his exclamations of loyalty that the intention is clear. It is to expose the shallowness and hypocrisy of the Nazi proclamations. In his first letter, Hernschel says, Mr. Lieutenant, kindly asking for permission to express that I am tremendously pleased that we are now fraternizing with Russians. Did not our beloved Fuhrer already say in 1939 that our friendship with the Russians is irrevocable and irreversible? Thus, Hernschel exposes the hypocrisy of Hitler's policy towards Russia all under the cover of absolute loyalty. This is a very strategic comedy writing strategy. In case you have ever watched a show such as The Colbert Report, Stephen Colbert, of course, is proudly more on the liberal side. When Stephen Colbert created The Colbert Report, he pretended to be an extremely conservative journalist. But of course, we knew that that was the whole idea. He wasn't a journalist. And 
He wasn't even conservative. He was a comedian. But the idea of the show became such a success because everybody could watch it. Conservatives or liberals could watch the show and feel like they are seeing hypocrisy and hilarity in the midst of what other people would deem the most important thing. And I've said this for a long time. I've always thought it would be a very interesting strategy for a Christian show to take that approach. Back to the episode. The experiment theorized that if they could get back to the strategy of the BBC, the experiment theorized that if they could get Germans to laugh at Hitler, then they wouldn't see him as a powerful person anymore. They may not even see him as all perfect as some of them did before. And Hitler knew that. In fact, Hitler went to great lengths to avoid being the butt of a joke in the eyes of his people. Hitler was so threatened by humor, in fact, that he banned Charlie Chaplin's movie, The Great Dictator. And he also banned another movie, which was the Three Stooges movie called You Nazi Spy. My good people of Moronica, I am very happy to see this little gathering. We must throw off the yoke of monarchy and make our country safe for hypocrisy. That was a clip from the Three Stooges movie, You Nazi Spy, where they became dictators of a fictional country called Moronica. Mo Hailstone, Curly Gallstone, and Larry Pebble are approached by three men who offer to give them dictatorial power over Moronica. Mo is instituted as the leader, the Adolf Hitler role, with Curly as a field marshal and... Larry as the minister of propaganda. They were basing them off of people in World War II very, very closely. And the takeover, Hailstone proceeds to give a speech to the masses, which you had just heard. And what you didn't hear is something that you would have to see if you watched the movie. It had Larry queuing with signs to display these signs that would say cheers, applause, and accidentally hiss, which was part of the joke. This became a very significant movie because You Nazi Spy satirized the Nazis and the Third Reich and helped publicize the Nazi threat in a period when the United States was still neutral about World War II and isolationist sentiment was prevalent among the public. Now, this shows the power of a joke. This joke and this short movie, You Nazi Spy, became so important in a time when America wasn't sure what to decide, and this helped become a bit of a deciding moment. And after this movie was, of course, Charlie Chaplin's movie came after. You Nazi Spy came first. And so it's really important to to see this. And I also want to point out something that you may not be aware of. So the Three Stooges were put and placed on Hitler's personal hit list. That's how much he did not appreciate this movie. He also happened to not just ban Charlie Chaplin's movie, The Great Dictator, but supposedly he watched it twice, which I've always found to be quite humorous in my opinion. I get watching something about you once, but why watch it twice unless perhaps you liked it? So I've, I've always thought that that's quite uh, interesting and uh, quite humorous. But he's not, Hitler is not the only one to ban mockery or jokes about him. When the James Franco and Seth Rogen movie The Interview was about to be released, which mocked Kim Jong-un, North Korea hacked Sony 
and threatened theaters in the United States not to prepare or premiere the movie, the interview, or their words were, there would be consequences. Now, almost all the theaters backed down. In fact, even the president of the United States at the time had said that he was disappointed in theaters for backing down, but all the movies or the theaters backed down and the movie was actually delegated to be released online. Now, just between you and me, I'll tell you right now, I watched it the day it opened Christmas morning on demand, purely out of principle, because I was not going to back down from fear from this country. And the other thing that North Korea actually did just to show some fear is when they did hack into Sony, Sony had asked North Korea and and, and so did uh, the administration had asked Korea, did you hack into Sony? And they said, maybe, which is a very interesting way of them really being like, well, yeah, but we're not, we're not going to say it. And in turn, they then followed it up with a threat. So they found their way of showing them what they can do when they're angry without really moving forward with any violence. But this had movies and movie theaters reacting quite quickly in the United States. If you love comedy just as much as I do, you probably get frustrated trying to find clean, family-friendly comedy that won't make you nervous to blast in your living room. That's why I'm a huge fan of Dry Bar Comedy Plus. It's the number one clean comedy channel in the world with over 100 million listeners. The channel has over 400 hilarious comedy specials, including my comedy special, I'm Terrified, which has been made exclusively for Dry Bar Comedy. Use code Chris Wineland to get a free month of Drybar Comedy Plus and watch my special along with many others. That's drybarcomedy.com and use promo code Chris Wineland. In 2018, another country banned something else. In 2018, China officially banned Winnie the Pooh because of joke comparisons that he looked like their president. Now, if you had guessed a different country in the earlier pop quiz in the earlier part of this episode, I'm sorry, you're wrong because the answer is China. And if you Google it, you could sort of see the comparisons. It doesn't look too spot on to me, but as a comedian, I totally get the idea of watching the president smile in a picture and saying, okay, that looks pretty close to Winnie the Pooh. Now, in other countries, a Winnie the Pooh comparison might actually be thought of as harmless, or some might even think that having Winnie the Pooh as your mascot could even be quite endearing. Not in China. The previous Chinese leader uh, had a catchphrase before this current one. He had a catchphrase. His catchphrase was promoting a harmonious society. Bloggers referred to that as being censored, but they would call it harmonized. And that was kind of the idea of China. In communist China, they tried to make it seem like you have options and make it seem like you have freedom. But at the exact same time, they do not want anyone to make fun of the leader because that could lose power for the leader and it could make the entire communist country and the idea of respecting the government as a complete joke. It's really interesting to me how the power of one joke or one concept or one funny idea can really cause backlash in other people who are trying to not become the butt of a joke for their own power. So 
The current authoritarian leader of China had been wise to the opportunity of mockery because of the previous leader who had that phrase promoting a harmonious society that just got completely taken out of hand with bloggers who were using it as a joke to say, hey, I'm so glad we're all being harmonized here on this blog and on this website. So the current authoritarian, we'll just call him uh, Winnie the Pooh, had been wise to the opportunity of mockery. That's why you can see as early as 2015, measures were taken to censor the chubby little cubby all stuffed with fluff. Much like certain words had been banned online in China, so also was the poor Pooh Bear. However, the, the ban only served to bring more attention to images, spotting even more of them, which genuinely tends to happen with the power of comedy. If you're telling a joke and people tell you to stop telling that joke, you have to tell that joke even more and for more people. And I think that's one thing that has always scared others, especially uh, power players, people in uh, various different governments or uh, religious activities. It's always scared people because if a joke really catches on, it can be like wildfire and it can start to reveal truth. Um, I, I remember somebody telling me, a friend of mine said, oh, you tell jokes. Well, one thing that you're probably not aware of is that every joke has a little bit of truth. And I remember I disagreed with him until I started to think about it. I thought, you know what? That's actually not wrong. Most jokes do have some truth to it. I haven't thought of a joke yet that doesn't have even a, a hint of truth to it. So I can understand why somebody would not want a joke to be told about them if they are trying to have an abuse of power or just trying to have reverence towards anything. Now, according to the BBC.com, the China government censors everything that they possibly can and as diligently as they possibly can, including Winnie the Pooh pictures and also words. Now, there's many, many, many words that China apparently censors. But one of the things that BBC.com points out is that if you go on to the highly used app in China called WeChat, which is the most used uh, social app in China, uh, from what I was told, when you go onto that, if you were to type in Winnie the Pooh and send it to a friend, it would tell you that it got sent, but the message would never be sent to the other person. They censored it, but they tried to make it seem like they weren't afraid of a joke. Now, the power of a joke not only threatens dictators and even rulers, but in today's society, it can also end someone's career completely. Bill Cosby was America's dad for over 30 years in culture. He was a clean comic and had one of the most watched sitcoms in history. It's important to note that Cosby had sexual allegations against him as early as the 1960s and were even presented in the public eye, but they had been thrown out of the court each time. America didn't really pay much attention to these allegations until one single joke. That's right. It wasn't until a joke that ears started to perk up. In October 2014, Hannibal Buress told a joke about Bill Cosby being a rapist. I'm going to play the joke, and it does have strong language, so quick warning if your kids are listening to this episode with you. Bill Cosby has the smuggest old black man public persona that I hate. Let's get some TV. Pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the 80s. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. 
Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so... Brings it down a couple notches. I don't curse on stage. Well, yeah, you're a rapist, so... I'll take you saying lots of motherfuckers on Bill Cosby himself if you weren't a rapist. For the most part, it's public Teflon image. I've done this bit on stage, and people don't believe people think I'm making it up. I'm like, Bill Cosby did a lot of rape allegations. No, you them. That is upsetting. If you didn't know about it, trust me. If you leave here, Google Bill Cosby rape. It was recorded on an iPhone by a surprised audience member, and it was then uploaded on YouTube. Within 24 hours, this joke was being aired and discussed on every major news source. The joke went so viral that within less than a month, all of Bill Cosby's business deals, including his lucrative contract with NBC to star in a sitcom that was just about to air, had been canceled and his completed Netflix comedy special that has been canned since was also done. TV Land even took The Cosby Show off their schedule for a few years. Because of one joke that frankly wasn't even polished yet, the public mob declared him guilty before he could appear before a trial. Now one thing I would like to mention with the public mob is that when they catch wind of somebody that they can destroy, whether for better or for worse, even if this person absolutely deserves to be canceled, what the public mob does is they destroy everything in its path. I remember when Roseanne got canceled socially a few years ago, and the show that had a very successful reboot was at a crosshair because Roseanne was asked by ABC to step down from the show. Now, what a lot of people don't know is what happens behind the scenes. So Roseanne Barr had the rights to her show. She had all the rights to the show, Roseanne. So when ABC had presented the idea of making a different show called The Connors, they had pushed her in a place where they said, if you do not sign over the rights so that we can make The Connors, then the entire show will be canceled all of Roseanne will be canceled. That also includes the 400 people that are working for you. And Roseanne Barr has said many times that for her, she knew she had to sign over the rights to her creative ideas and her show so that 400 people would not lose their job because of something that she did. Now, again, for better or for worse, I think it's just worth us noting that when we cancel somebody, we're not just canceling the name. We're not just canceling the person. We're most likely canceling the people or the jobs of sometimes hundreds of people who are involved in a project. This also includes sitcoms such as The Cosby Show. When that got canceled from being played or re-aired on TV Land for a few years, many of the actors that were making money from these episodes and were getting checks regularly all of a sudden, we're not getting paid from these episodes being played. So it's just worth knowing that when you're in the entertainment industry and the mob decides to cancel somebody completely, just know that it affects many, many people in the entertainment industry, not just the person that everyone's focused on. Jokes can bother power in people, both politically and career-wise. I think we would all agree with that. But a joke can also be devastating towards one's deeply held belief in a religion. 
And this can also cause an all-out battle of violence. On January 7, 2015, at about 11.30 a.m., two French Muslim brothers forced their way into the offices of the French satirical weekly newspaper Charlie Hebdo in Paris. Armed with rifles and other weapons, they killed 12 people and injured 11 others. The gunmen identified themselves as belonging to the Islamic terrorist group Al-Qaeda, which took responsibility for the attack. So why the violent attack? It was because of jokes about Muhammad. The attack that took place inside this building shocked France, not just because of its callous brutality, but also because Charlie Hebdo was only targeted because the magazine had chosen to publish some cartoons that some people found deeply offensive. And the repercussions of this attack and those cartoons continue to be felt. Charlie Hebdo, a, a publication that always courted controversy with satirical attacks on political and religious leaders, published cartoons on the Islamic prophet Muhammad in 2012, three years before the attack, forcing France to temporarily close embassies and schools in more than 20 countries amid fears of reprisals. Its offices had also been firebombed in November of 2011 after publishing a previous caricature of Muhammad on its cover. Being supported by more than 40 world leaders after the attack and the shooting, the staff of, of Charlie Hebdo continued with the publication, and the very following issue print ran 7.95 million copies in six languages, which is compared to its typical print run of only 60,000, and it was only in French. The power of the joke not just created backlash, but it also brought 7.95 million people to answer this calling. And you'll notice in history that when a joke is told about any form of religion, it can cause a huge backlash, anger, and a lot of questioning. Jokes in the early 1900s happened to shake up the Catholic American reverence of the Pope. And seated around the desk on Madison Avenue sit the religious leaders of our country. Religion, big business. We hear H.A. addressing the tight little group on Madison Avenue. That was Lenny Bruce that you just heard about to dive into one of his most controversial bits in his career. By 1957, Lenny Bruce had developed a reputation as an edgy, innovative comedian. The snippet that you just heard was a sketch he infamously did called Religions Incorporated, in which prominent church leaders from Pope John to Billy Graham exchange money-raising tips as the company headquarters. Now, this caused an uproar in the Catholic Church and amongst Catholic citizens. In fact, he had trial in Chicago, which is where that recording came from. And it was an all-Catholic jury. The all-Catholic jury found Lenny Bruce surprisingly guilty of violating state obscenity laws after one hour of deliberations. It only took one hour. According to prosecution evidence, witnesses accused Lenny Bruce of mocking the Catholic Church. And in March 1963, the Chicago judge, also a Catholic, sentenced Lenny Bruce to one year in jail. He remained free on bond, however, during his appeal. In July 1964, the Illinois Supreme Court revised Bruce's conviction, finding his speech protected by the First Amendment. As 
Much as comedy can be used wrongly to mock God and Christianity, mockery and jokes can also be used as a powerful tool by believers to expose truth to the hypocrisy of idolatry and revealing the power of God. In the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, this is 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah the prophet used comedy as a vitally important power shift in his generation. There was Elijah standing before all of the prophets of Baal, which is a false god. And after every one of the people in his generation seemed to disappear from being loyal to God, and in fact, um, Elijah was one of the few people that were still vocal about keeping the commandments and about honoring God amidst the king power uh, shift change that was happening where they were trying to to also worship other gods and trying to also worship the God of Baal. And so at the time, the prophets of Baal were the most powerful prophets in Israel. And Elijah was pretty much the only one standing up against it. And so here we are in this story that has most likely been preached at your church or at a church somewhere recently, because this is one of the most well-known and um, crazy, intense stories. But in verse 25, Elijah has a conversation with the prophets of Baal. And he says, let's decide, and I'm paraphrasing, this is the Chris Wineland version of this chapter. He says, let's decide once and for all who is actually the true God, who is actually worshiping the one true God. So he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to choose for yourselves one bull and you're going to prepare it first. And what you're going to do is you're going to call upon the name of your God. And that God of yours is supposed to put fire onto it. You're not going to put fire on it yourself. You're going to call upon that God. And that lowercase God is supposed to put fire on it. And he said, why don't you go first? So they took a bull that uh, they were given and they prepared him. They prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. And they said, oh, Baal, answer us. They literally shouted out to this false god. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around and they even cut their own selves in order to desperately try to hear from this. And this is where uh, verse 27 of 1 Kings chapter 18 comes in and Elijah starts some, some pretty seriously awesome stand-up comedy. And I'll read this verbatim. At noon, Elijah mocked them, talking about the prophet's at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, or, or maybe he's relieving himself, or perhaps he's on a journey, or, or, or maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. Now that, that is some seriously good stand-up comedy. He is doing what kind of was talked about in the beginning of this episode, the idea of pretending to confirm what you're talking about, while at the exact same time, it's sharing the clear reality that there is hypocrisy going on. He says to them, hey, maybe go louder. Maybe perhaps your God is in the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he, he's just going around. He's going on a journey. He's doing his thing. He's like trying to use this joke 
uh, as a way of exposing just how wrong these false prophets are and how much they were taking the nation of Israel away from the one true God. And it only created more suffering and desperate callings from these people. The moment that they heard these jokes, these false prophets tried more to cut themselves and they tried even harder to do something about it. And yet uh, they lost their power. And the, the joke is used here as a tool. Now, obviously, it's God that's the most ultimate part of this story. So I'm not trying to like take anything out of context in any way. But I just wanted to share that story with you because it is quite uh, interesting evidence that Elijah used mockery to expose the truth. And I think that that's one thing that we as Christians have tended to avoid is the idea of mocking something that clearly goes against God, something that clearly tries to defy the one true God himself. And when we use mockery to expose that, it actually brings a very powerful power shift. And this is that moment where you see a huge power shift in this story of Elijah. And again, I'm not saying that it's because of the joke at all. It's really because of God. But what I loved is that Elijah chose to use mockery as one of the tools. At the end of the day, laughter is not just a thing. It can also be a tool. And I, I hope that this episode has enlightened you in some way, shape, or form about the power of a joke. And there's many, many other things that we can talk about, many other examples that we can see when leaders try to avoid jokes or how comedy can be used to bring power shifts or especially in cancel cultures, how people have been forced to apologize for a joke that they've told. We could talk all day about that and i'm always willing to talk about it on my website or on my instagram at chris wineland comedy now as we end this episode i want to leave you with this words are powerful they always have been since the beginning of creation how are we using our words to glorify the one true god for more information on forgotten hollywood visit my website at chriswineland.com you can also find all of my source material from this episode and other past episodes on my page as well. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Chris Wineland Comedy. We'll be back next week with another surprising episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Mm -hmm.